Today we are going to be looking, we're starting the last two chapters of the Gospel of Mark. So we've got two chapters and four sermons left in our series on the Gospel of Mark. Kind of hard to believe, but here we are at the end. And of course, you may have noticed in the the last few weeks, some of these texts on the passion of Jesus, they're really familiar texts and really familiar stories about these last moments of Jesus' life. So at least from the from the perspective of the pulpit, they're a little challenging to preach, you know, to preach in a fresh way, um, texts that we're very familiar with. Um, and, and, and to some extent, you know, we just, it sort of stands on its own. I don't really have to add a lot to it. But nevertheless, would you listen now for God's word to us today? We're going to be again in Mark's gospel, chapter 15 and verses 1 through 15. Mark writes this, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, replied Jesus. The chief priest accused him of many things. And again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed a murder in the uprising. The crowd came, and they asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then? But the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them, crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, said Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we do thank you for this, your day, and this, your word, as we now come under your teaching, and we pray that we would have open minds and hearts to receive what you would have to say to us today. And we pray that you would press these things into us very deeply by your Spirit. And I pray, Lord, now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for indeed you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, we we looked, if you remember, we looked at the Passover meal That was a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, and that took place on the Thursday evening of the last week of Jesus' life. I just want to kind of get the timeline in our minds for a moment. So the Passover meal, Thursday evening, 
Immediately after the meal, Jesus and his disciples, they went to the garden of Gethsemane. And there in the garden, they went to pray. And Jesus went to really wrestle with the reality of what he was submitting to under the Father's will. It was there in the garden that Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and led away. So, since that Thursday evening, beginning with the Passover meal, Jesus is now on trial through the night. Of course, this was before electricity, so this would have been a a trial through the wee hours of the night by candlelight or torchlight where Jesus was interrogated and charged and tried. Nobody has been to bed. I don't know about you. I don't do too good when I don't go to bed on time, but here, nobody's been to bed. It's very early in the morning on Friday. It maybe was like one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning when these various religious leaders on the Sanhedrin were, were woken up so that they could gather to have this trial and to come against Jesus. They've been brought out of bed in the dead of night, and they have decided that this matter is so urgent that it cannot wait until morning. Now, on the surface, this is all a horrible miscarriage of justice. The intensity with which they are pursuing Jesus, it really reveals much about their own sin and envy and hatred of Jesus. And it's important to recognize that these were not good men. They may have been very religious men, but these were not good men seeking truth and justice. These were evil men, wicked men, and they wanted nothing more than the death of the Son of God. They don't mind rushing through this trial in the middle of the night. They're like a pack of jackals circling their prey, and they're not going to stop until Jesus is ripped to shreds. I mean, look at the sheer number of people gathered in the middle of the night, right? The Sanhedrin was 70 men, plus the high priest, plus probably lots of assistants and servants. Many, many people had been woken up to gather for this trial in the middle of the night. They've gathered purportedly to pursue the truth, but in reality, we know all they care about is their own power and their own status and their own prestige, which they feel is being threatened. And this is their final move. This is the end game. This is the final chapter in their pursuit of Jesus. Again, it's very early in the morning. They have tried Jesus. Now they bind Jesus. Now we know it is a ridiculous thing that they would bind Jesus. At no point in the narrative has Jesus been anything near to a physical threat to anyone. In fact, when one of his own men took his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest, Jesus healed the man, right? He's been nothing of a threat, but but they feel it necessary to bind him. They arrest him, they bind him, just like he's a violent criminal. 
It's all really a show. It's all a bit of performance here. Jesus, in his great humility, he plays along. He knows what the end of the story will be. And he is submitting now to being bound because he knows that this will lead to the ultimate freedom for his people. This will free them from the chains of sin and death. And so he willingly permits himself to be bound for our sake. So they bind Jesus, they lead him away, and they they hand him over to Pilate, who is the Roman provincial governor. Now, Mark's gospel is kind of fast-paced. We, we've covered that. Mark, you know, immediately this happened. Immediately that happened. Mark just gets right to the point. He does not dwell much on the details. And so, Mark here just goes right from the trial with the Sanhedrin to the trial with, with Pilate. Right? There's not much else that Mark covers here. Uh, John's gospel fleshes this out a little more, and I'll share from that. John's gospel says, then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. It was early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter Pilate's palace. So Pilate came out to them, and he asked them, what are the charges that you bring against this man? And they said, well, if he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. It's kind of an odd response, isn't it? It's kind of an odd thing to say if you're asked, what are the charges? And you're just like, well, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't be doing this. They don't really specify any charges here. And, and Pilate then says, well, you should take him yourself. Judge him by your own law. But they respond, we have no right to execute anyone. That was their objection. And it's kind of fascinating. They reveal right there, they reveal that they really have no intention of Jesus getting a fair trial before Pilate. They've already decided the sentence, and they're just trying to get Pilate to go along with it, to kind of rubber stamp what they've already decided. Now, if you've read these narratives before, which I'm sure you have, you might wonder why is Pilate reluctant to, to condemn Jesus? And you, you get the answer to that right here. Pilate's reluctant because he kind of sees through these religious leaders, right? He kind of sees the reality that Jesus is being set up here. And he's obviously not pleased with being dragged out of bed very early in the morning, by these religious leaders who are trying to manipulate him into doing their bidding. However, before you start to feel too sorry for Pilate, you know, indeed he is being pressured into this, but before you feel too sorry for him, I think there's some things that look pretty bad for Pilate here, right? Because if he knows that Jesus is being set up, if Pilate knows really that Jesus is innocent... And he's got no reason to do these Jews a favor, but Pilate still goes along with condemning Jesus. It's almost like he just goes along with it to preserve his own peace, to kind of get these religious leaders out of his hair, if you will. So I think that makes Pilate a much less sympathetic character, if you will, even though he is being pressured into this. So Mark 
just jumps right into the trial. We've got the trial with the Sanhedrin, jumps right into the trial with Pilate in verse 2. Um, so Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, you have said so, right? If, if you've read the various gospel accounts, you know that during these trials, Jesus basically doesn't answer any questions. The only questions he really answers are the questions about his identity. Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? He affirms these things. Pilate again asks if Jesus is going to defend himself. He says, there are many things, many charges being brought against you. Are you going to defend yourself? And Jesus gives no reply. Jesus is silent. And I can only imagine that Pilate in the, the role that he had as the Roman provincial governor, he was a powerful man. He had authority over life and death. He condemned many people to death. And I can only imagine from his experience in these trials, you know, he was very used to people coming up with any and every excuse for, as the cross loomed large before them of why they were not guilty and they should not be there and they should not be condemned to the cross. He had probably heard every, every lie, every threat, every kind of begging for mercy, every kind of crying and pleading, trying to avoid the desperate fate of the cross. But Jesus, facing the cross, remains silent. He remains confident. Jesus doesn't beg. He doesn't plead before Pilate for mercy. He doesn't try to explain how he is really not guilty or how he really shouldn't be there. He doesn't even say, I'm innocent. Pilate's heard it all before. But Pilate has never seen anything like this. Jesus made no reply. Jesus was silent. And the text tells us that Pilate was amazed. He was amazed with this response. Now, as we see in Mark's style of, of brevity, it seems that all of this took place in only a few minutes' time. But most likely, this was, these were deliberations that would have taken place over, over several hours of time. And with Jesus, Pilate really has a dilemma. He can't really find anything to, to condemn Jesus of. It, it, it even seems, maybe if you read between the lines, it, it seems that Pilate maybe even, he even admires Jesus a bit for his resolve and for his resilience as well, in Matthew's gospel account in chapter 27, we get this little tidbit that Pilate's wife sent a message to him. And men, you know, you should probably listen. Your wife is sending you a message, telling you something, right? Pilate's wife sends him a message and says, have nothing to do with this innocent man. And she even says she's had, she's had a dream about him and has suffered much on account of this dream about Jesus. And so Pilate has every reason to not condemn Jesus. He, and, and in Luke's account in chapter 23, Pilate even sends Jesus for another interrogation before Herod. He's like desperate to try to wiggle out of what he feels he, you know, is being pressured to do. And, and now we have Pilate's last attempt, kind of his last gamble 
He's going to make use of this tradition that he had at Passover time to release a prisoner to the people. If you remember, the Passover was about God's judgment passing over his people. And this is kind of like Pilate's little enactment of his own Passover where his judgment passed over uh, one one of uh, a guilty man, if you will. And so Pilate, he does this tradition... I think it probably makes him feel very kind and selfless and magnanimous, but he's not really doing it for their sake, right? He decides to give the people a choice between Jesus and a convicted criminal. Brilliant idea, right? Surely they will choose Jesus, right? And he thinks if the people, if the people hate me for arresting Jesus, I can blame it on the religious leaders. And if the religious leaders hate me for releasing Jesus, I can blame it on the people. He's very clever like that, right? You don't get into a position like this without being kind of clever and brilliant. And so Pilate carefully picks a prisoner, one that surely the crowd will not choose, a genuinely bad and dangerous man. And if the religious leaders are careful not to upset Rome, which over and over again, they say this, they're they're trying very carefully not to upset Rome, right? Well, they will not want this bad man back on the streets. And surely the people will choose Jesus to be set free. And Pilate's conscience will be clear. And his wife will not be upset at him. It's a brilliant plan. So, Let's meet Barabbas. Verse 6. It was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. So this man Barabbas, he's kind of a fascinating character. And, and it's not hard to compare Barabbas with Jesus. In fact, I think that's what the text is inviting us to do is it's kind of holding these two men up one beside the other so we can compare them. Now, Barabbas, his name literally means son of the father, right? In the, in the Bible, if you get a name that has that prefix bar, that means son of, you know, so like Bar Jonah, Bar Timaeus, right? Son of Timaeus, son of Jonah. And here we have Bar, son of Abbas, right? We know what Abba means. It's like an affectionate term for a father. So this is son of the father, Barabbas. And up against the son of the father, we have Jesus, who is the true son of our true father, These two have a name that's similar, but they could not be more different. Barabbas is an insurrectionist. This means that he has been part of a rebellion. He has been part of an uprising. He is a murderer. He is a rebel. The scriptures even describe him as as being a thief. And it's likely that those two thieves that were crucified beside Jesus were probably fellow insurrectionists along with Barabbas. And we also know that in the Roman system, anyone caught in an uprising would be executed very shortly afterwards in in a, in a way to make an example of them. 
And so many scholars believe that not only was, was Barabbas a prisoner, but he was a prisoner who was facing the death penalty for what he had done. And in all likelihood, he, he should have been the man on that third cross. Now bear in mind, as I mentioned, the religious leaders, they took great care not to anger Rome. And well, Barabbas is exactly the kind of man that you would not want to release if you were trying not to anger Rome. And yet the 70 members of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they are sown out among this crowd and they're spreading discord outside the palace. They are whipping people up into a frenzy about releasing Barabbas, this most dangerous man. And in verse 9, Pilate asks, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? He knew it was out of self-interest that, you know, they had, they'd handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd and, and they asked Pilate to release Barabbas instead. And then he says, what shall I do with the one you call king of the Jews? And they say, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? And all the more they cried, crucify him. Pilate is clearly baffled by this. This does not sit well with him. What crime has Jesus committed? I mean, Jesus, he knows Jesus has fed the hungry, he's healed the sick, he's preached about God's kingdom. This is exactly the kind of person you would think the, the, the people would be rallying behind. Yet they're screaming for his death. It makes no sense to Pilate. Maybe it just shows the madness of our own sinful natures. At the beginning of his gospel, John said, the whole world was made through him, made through Jesus. But the world did not recognize him. He came to those who were his own, and they received him not. I think that's what we're seeing here. So, verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas. And he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Those are maybe the most cowardly five words that you will ever hear, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate knows. Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, even if he doesn't know that Jesus is truly the Son of God. He knows he's innocent, and yet he condemns him anyway, because Pilate's position is his God. Pilate's power is his God. Pilate's popularity with the crowd is his God. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. He knew that what he was doing was wrong. There's a lot of people in the world like that, aren't there? People who say and think 
and do only what the crowd will find to be acceptable. There's a lot of people like that in the world today. And I think Pilate's maybe a cautionary tale of what it looks like to, to know the truth deep down, but refuse to acknowledge it, or to lack the courage to say it, or to be unwilling or unable to proclaim it. And I think it's possible to know exactly who Jesus is and, and also to make the conscious decision to not stand by him. Because we know it may cost us. It may cost us more than we are willing to pay. So I'll deny the truth or I'll refuse to thoroughly investigate the truth because I've got this sneaking suspicion that Jesus may just be exactly who he said he is. But I'm not willing to pay the cost to proclaim that. And instead, I'll reject him. I'll send the good and the innocent man to death. You know, maybe this morning, maybe... Maybe for some of us, maybe that's some of us this morning. Maybe deep down you know that Jesus is all that he has claimed to be. And you know that if you acknowledge that, it will cost you, and the cost maybe is more than you're willing to bear. You don't want to lose favor with the crowd. And it might be worth taking a moment for every single one of us this morning. It might be worth taking a moment to, to think about who is the crowd in your own life? Who is the crowd that has that voice that is just way too loud in your own life? Those voices that sometimes we pay way too much attention to. Maybe it's the crowd in your workplace. Maybe it's the crowd of your family. Maybe it's the crowd at school. Who is it that is pushing you or pressuring you to walk away from Christ? You know, the world's full of people like Pilate, people who either suspect the truth and they refuse to investigate it, or indeed they know the truth, but they refuse to say it because they know it will cost them. It's been said, you are no fool if you give up what you cannot keep in order to keep what you cannot lose. Right? You are no fool to give up what you cannot keep. That's respect from the crowd. In order to keep what you cannot lose, that is your relationship with Christ. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but instead this uproar was starting, he took water, and he washed his hands in front of the crowd and he declared, I am innocent of this man's blood. What arrogance. What arrogance. Just because you declare yourself innocent doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you're innocent. You need more than clean hands to stand pure before a holy God. It's incredible arrogance. Don't let that be a picture of your own life. 
walking away from the Son of God and the Savior of the world and also convincing yourself that you're a good, innocent person, not deserving any judgment, right? It's not worth it. It's not worth making peace with the crowd if you lose peace with the God of the universe. It's not worth it. Don't make that same mistake that Pilate made. So, Barabbas walks away free while the Lord of life is condemned to death on a cross. I want to take a few minutes as we, as we wrap it up today, and I want to think about Barabbas. And I think this will actually be a hopeful note on which we'll end. Barabbas is really one of the most intriguing characters in the New Testament, at least in my opinion. Indeed, Barabbas was a vile and violent man. He was clearly locked up for a good reason, for committing murder, for committing insurrection. He was destined to die for his crimes. And then one day, one day, he was set free, right? Think about that. I mean, there's actually a spiritual parallel going on to what physically happened to Barabbas, right? He went to bed Thursday night, a man condemned to death. And he woke up on Friday morning. And to his great surprise, he found that he was being set free. He walked not in the death, but in the life. Can you imagine the shock for that man being released from this capital crime, from this punishment he knew was coming? How was that possible? How was it possible for this guilty man to go free? And indeed, he was guilty. Well, it was possible only because an innocent man was willing to take his punishment and to die in his place. Jesus, though he was innocent of all crime and all sin, he allowed himself to be slain. And Jesus would die, though he deserved to live. And Jesus, he would be bound, though he deserved to be set free. And Jesus would be punished, though he deserved eternal life. And Jesus willingly died so that Barabbas might live. What an extraordinary reality for Barabbas to wake up to on that Friday morning. And as he walked free, I wonder if he was embraced by his friends or his family or or maybe just by his fellow insurrectionists, I don't know. And I wonder if any one of them might have made note that there was another son of the father who did not go free. And I wonder, I wonder what Barabbas might have made of that. Do you think Barabbas heard Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Do you think Barabbas might have heard the news a few days later about the tomb 
being empty. What do you think Barabbas made of those facts? I'm fascinated by Barabbas, and one day maybe I'll find out his fate. I do hope that Barabbas saw what happened to him physically being set free and that he saw there was also a spiritual freedom available to him. I hope he saw that the Christ who died for his crimes was also willing to die for his sins. And, and what I hope for Barabbas, I also pray for you, brothers and sisters, you and me. We're a bunch of rebels. We deserve to die for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And we deserve our full due. Yet here comes Jesus, a truly innocent man. And he's willing to take our punishment. He's willing to die in our place. He's willing to suffer for our sins so that we don't have to. I am Barabbas. Brothers and sisters, you are Barabbas. We are worthy of death. Yet Christ died so that we might live. Amen. Christ died so that we might live. Friends, if you have not yet put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? I mean, you have no guarantee. Not one of us has any guarantee of tomorrow. What are you waiting for? Forget what the crowds say. Trust in Jesus Turn from your sin. Trust in him. Ask him to forgive you. You know what? He will. He will. He will take your punishment so that you can have true and everlasting life. And when you die, you will find your great delight that you are clean in the sight of God. That you are free and that you are more alive than you ever dreamed possible. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and for this time that we have to dwell in it together. And I pray this morning, I pray for anyone who has been reluctant to truly listen to the claims that Jesus has made about himself. Perhaps that reluctance has been wrapped up in all kinds of seemingly good reasons. But Lord, I pray that this morning you would cause people to truly take responsibility for their own response to Jesus. And I pray that many will know the joy of being set free in his name. And that they would know the delight of having their sins forgiven and that they would believe and trust that the death of Jesus has truly given them eternal life. <laughs> we pray, Lord, that you would save lost souls and set them free. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.